With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, or I should say tonight, we're going to break down every week 14 matchup. We got 16 of them bad boys this week. Bye weeks are a thing of the past. We got the fantasy football playoffs to conquer. We've gotten to this point. We are not going home without a championship. I have a very special guest to join me. You guys have heard him every other week this entire season. That is none other than Dwayne McFarland. Dwayne, happy week 14, man. Man, happy week 14. I'm guessing playoffs are upon pretty much everyone at this point. So excited to jump into it. Might as well be, man. Absolutely. We got 16 games to break down. We are recording this at 7.15 on a Tuesday night. So hopefully by the time we're done, Des Bryant will already have a couple touchdowns. Got my lucky Mary Xmas Des Bryant Christmas sweater on for good luck. Hopefully we will not be disappointed. Dwayne, the last time we did a pod mid-game, A.J. Brown scored a touchdown. So it's good voodoo, man. And that's exactly why I wanted to record with you during the game. But <laughs> without further ado, let's get to it. First game, Patriots at the at Rams, Thursday night football. Rams opened as six and a half point favorites down the five and a half over under down from 45 and a half to 44 and a half look this is the week where if you have a patriots player on your fantasy football team you do not want to play them because everything is muddled we thought we had a two rb backfield with damian harris and uh, james white that's not the case anymore sonny michelle jumped back into that it was already a situation as we've said in this podcast before where there's nothing resembling a smash spot because we can't predict the game script that's going to happen for these running backs now when we add sonny michelle in there who's going to be splitting early down work with uh damian harris even if damian harris is the lead it's already a small pie because Cam Newton is taking all the freaking red zone rush attempts. So it's a situation where we can't trust the running backs. It looked like we could maybe trust Jacoby Myers a couple weeks ago. Now it's really been between Myers, Bird, Nikhil Harry, just depending on the week and a passing attack that we all know doesn't have much of a floor ceiling. So Rams, number one defense this year in yards allowed per play, number two in EPA per play against. Look, we've had some fun with Cam in the rushing touchdowns. Even Damon Harris has given us a few weeks. Jacoby Myers had that fun stretch. That was then. This is now. Do not play New England Patriots in in this spot. Dwayne, hit me with some Rams goodness. Yeah, man. It's uh, another week goes by and we see potentially another breakout, right? Situation from a rookie running back. Now, I know you have a special affinity for the young backs that wear the smoke visor, Ian. So 100%. I don't know if you have anything to say before I get started on Cam Akers about his attire, maybe how low he lets his towel hang or how he positions it. I don't know. Like you, you're the aficionado on all things, you know, to do with, you know, what's the best way to dress as a running back. So I don't know if you want to start there or if you just want me to jump into as you. Only thing I'll add, only thing I'll add is that the guy has been stunting just a swaggy visor from day one. And we appreciate that because if you can't practice, if you can't look good while you're practicing, how are you going to look good when you play? If you can't look good, how are you, when you're going to play, how are you going to play good, Dwayne? I don't get it. So with that said, <laughs> tell me about Cam Akers. Well, maybe his utilization uh, is finally going to catch up with his swag from, from how good he looks. Because, I mean, we saw a huge jump 
for Cam Akers, um, you know, in this week 13 game, he jumped from 27% of the snaps the week before all the way up to 63%. Um, he posted a season high in routes, 51%. He handled 68% of the rushing attempts. That's 21 of the carries in. Um, only one other outing all year. That was week six where Daryl Henderson had um, 70%, but that was only for like 15 carries. That's the highest this year. And so the other thing that's really positive, you know, for Akers is the Rams trailed in this game. The Rams were within three points, which I call close in this game. And then they were also leading in different points of this game. And if you break it down by quarter, by situation, no matter how you slice it, Cam Akers was involved and he was on the field. Now, where he does have a little bit of a stumbling block, you know, that could show up somewhere down the road, you know, if, if, if the Rams are just getting smoked, um, you know, New England, I expect, a, you know, a close game. So I don't see that being this week. Um, you know, I don't see a situation where they smoke the Rams. I could see a close game or a game where the Rams lead all game. Um, but if you look at Akers, he doesn't get the long down and distance work and he doesn't get the, um, you know, two minute offense. That's still going to Malcolm Brown. But other than that, man, I think, you know, it's still going to be three backs. So you're, you're going to see Daryl Henderson spell Cam Akers, you know, probably, you know, 10 to 20% of the snaps. You're going to see Malcolm Brown out there on third and fourth down, seven plus yards to go. If they get into their two-minute offense, you're going to still see Malcolm Brown. But what I do want to say is last week, they didn't have any two-minute offensive snaps. So we don't really know for sure what they want to do with Cam Akers. But if you go look at their no huddle offense, which is often very similar to what you would do in a two-minute situation because you're running quicker, you need you got to know you have guys on the field that can think on their feet, they know the playbook. They know the protections. They know, they know all of those things. Cam Akers was out there plenty last week. In fact, he led the team in the two-minute offense. Um, Malcolm Brown did get out there, but Akers actually outsnapped him. So there's potential, Ian, that we could see Cam Akers take on some of the two-minute role. And what I like about it is, you know, they've been patient with him. They've waited. What that tells me is there still is, I know we're late in the season, but there still is hope that for some small stretch of the season down here at the end, if you guys have held on to him or if you can get him off the waiver wire or if you're just thinking DFS, I do think there's a chance that Akers could still turn into the every down back. I'm not saying it's likely, um, but when your coaching staff trusts you in those specific situations, he's already getting all of the inside the five snaps over the last two weeks, 100% both weeks. He had six last week. He had three of the three of the attempts from inside the five, so he's already getting those high levers touches. I'm really excited to see what they do with Cam Akers. Now, this is uh, maybe we should rename like Sean McVay, like maybe his middle name should be like Hot Hand, like <laughs> Sean Hot Hand McVay. Maybe we should do that with Shanahan too. Like these, these two guys, their, their, their middle name is like Hot Hand. It could totally blow up in our faces, but you get excited when you see a young, talented player like this. He had a couple of really good runs. They're leaning into him. They could go away from him, but again, I just see encouraging signs. So he's a guy that I'm willing to put in my lineup this week, and I'm going to consider him to be a low-end RB2 but by next week, right, we could really be considering Cam Akers potentially, you know, as an RB1. But I think you're pretty safe putting him in low end RB2, set your expectations appropriately. It could be you could still get RB3 production. But if you're setting your expectations and your sights on low end RB2, you won't be that disappointed. And I do think there's room for you get an, for you to get an RB1 performance out of Cam Akers this weekend and a game that should either be tight or the Rams should be leading. The only thing we need to keep an eye on, everybody, is this shoulder injury a problem. He did not practice on Monday in their estimation. That's yep. not a real practice. I don't know why they would list him on that if it wasn't an actual injury. But, hey, he could be full practice. You know, we haven't seen the Tuesday one. 
We'll see. Just keep an eye on it. Shoulder injuries, you know, rib injuries. I do get concerned with these types of injuries when it comes to, you know, a running back who's going to be taking on a lot of contact. But to your point, all the numbers are adding up. I wanted to be kind of out on this because Daryl Henderson missed a little bit of the first half with a knee injury. But to your point, he was back there in the second half. And any split you want to take from that game, Akers was the lead guy. So I think that low-end RB2 is fair. Just keep an eye on the shoulder injury, everybody. Next matchup, we got the Titans at the Jaguars. Inexplicably on a Sunday instead of a Thursday. I don't know what that's about. But Titans, seven and a half point favorites over under is at 53 so look i just want to point out this titans offense is enabling four high-end fantasy assets and i'm looking at fantasy points per game here so not even you know full season uh, allotment and everything but just going off of ppr points per game derrick henry rb5 aj brown wide receiver 12 Corey davis wide receiver 17 ryan Tannehill, qb9 hell even johnny smith is the tight end nine even though he you know that situation has been annoying he's been missing some games not exactly putting up consistent production so look the only teams you know implied to score 30 or more points this week are the packers versus the lions the seahawks versus the jets and the titans versus the freaking Jaguars, man. I don't know if there's anything that this atrocious Jaguars defense can do to really slow down the Titans and whatever manner they want to spread the ball around. So Adam Humphreys, I set the IR with a concussion, which is unfortunate, but this does, you know, open up even more targets here to be condensed around A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. Look, you know, right when we got comfortable with Corey Davis being a wide receiver too, he had that goose egg against the Bears and it took us a while to get back, you know, on the ship. We've been here though and, you know, as we've been calling him an upside wide receiver three, Corey Davis at this point is a legit low-end wide receiver too. So, oh, He's AJB wide receiver one season. You don't need me to tell you that. I've told you that enough over the past, uh, you know, six months or so. But just realize, not just, it's a situation, this offense, it used to only be Derrick Henry, AJ Brown. Do not count out Tannehill and Corey Davis as legit every week fantasy studs, particularly in a great matchup such as the one they have this week. Dwayne, man, Mike Lennon, tossing that ball around. Not afraid to throw down field. I kind of love it. Yeah, I mean, if you heard Glennon interviewed before his first start two weeks ago, it, you know, basically what he said is, look, man, I've been here. I'm just going to let it rip. I'm not going to worry Love about it. anything. I'm just going to go out here and fling it. And really, that's what he's doing. And and so it's keeping the Jacksonville, you know, passing options viable. Um, you guys know whenever it comes, you know, to the running game, um, you know, with Robin, with James Robinson, I don't, I don't need to tell you guys that. But just in case you didn't know, over the last couple of weeks, not only has Robinson, you know, been getting his normal workload, which is literally almost every single carry you know that the team has to offer but now he's out there in the two minute situations 100% and 80% and then the long down and distance 167% so Robinson literally is out there for pretty much every viable you know play where you could score a fantasy point like he is on the field so he was already obviously a top end RB1 but I think he's going to finish the season really strong this is a solid matchup I think he's a top four running back this week you know maybe a top three you could make the argument you know the guy gets his touches every week and he's always efficient the only other guy I'll mention here for the Jaguars is just don't forget um, you know DJ Chark ran a route on 92% of the routes had seven targets last week 131 air yards they didn't quite connect I believe he only caught two of those balls I don't have it up right in front of me but 29% of those targets came on play action which is plus three percent versus the rest of the league when you look at wide receivers so I consider you know when you're looking at Chark he's a low-end wide receiver too but man he gives you that wide receiver one upside especially with the way that Glennon's willing to just keep pushing the ball down the field this is a and this is a game that like you said could be a lot of points scored Um, Tennessee has been really you know they've been a choice matchup like pretty much all season. They haven't really held any offense down and we know they're going to score their points. So I really like DJ Chark this week. Um, I liked him last week. You know, he didn't quite come through, but I think, you know, solid wide receiver too, probably going to be a good DFS play. I don't want to see, you know, what ownership is going to look like, but I mean, if he's anywhere around 15%, I'm probably going to take the over versus the field. 
like that call. Definitely a good bounce back spot for Chark. Maybe Chark week. We will see. Next matchup, we got the Vikings at the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay, six and a half point favorites. Game total sitting at 51 and a half. So I just want to provide some context for Justin Jefferson. We all know he's been one of the best rookie wide receivers of the season. What I think a lot of people maybe don't quite realize is that he has not just been one of the best rookie wide receivers this season. He's been one of the best wide receivers, period, this season. I don't care how old you are. I mean, look, this year, Devontae Adams leads the league in yards per route run. Freaking Justin Jefferson is number two. He's PFF's fifth highest grade receiver. And look, since 2010, rookies with at least 50 targets. He is number one in yards per out run at 2.87. The only other rookie wide receivers over the past decade to average even 2.1 yards per out run. OBJ, AJ Brown, Tyreek Hill, Doug Baldwin, Juju Smith-Schuster, AJ Green, and Julio Jones. They are all below Jefferson, but those are the only guys even within the same freaking shouting distance, man. It's been incredible what he's done this year. So far, it's been Metcalf, Kelsey, Hill, Diggs, Adams, Hopkins, and Justin Jefferson. Right now, the only uh, seven guys with over a thousand receiving yards. So it's been a situation where, you know, sometimes I think we're so focused on the week to week and these efficiency stats, you know, how they're doing fantasy. So sometimes we don't zoom out enough to kind of see how a guy's season might be going, you know, just compared to uh, similar players both this year and in the past. Man, Justin Jefferson cannot say enough good things about this guy. I think he deserves to be, you know, in any anyone's top five, top 10 uh, dynasty rankings for the wide receiver position. He has been as advertised. And I think, you know, regardless of what happens with Kirk Cousins' future and Adam Thielen being there, I think we're going to see Justin Jefferson keep on keeping on for many, many years to come. It's not the most ideal matchup, but come on. I think at this point, the Vikings passing game has earned the benefit of the Dow continuing to fire up Jefferson and our guy Adam Thielen as borderline wide receiver ones week in and week out. Dwayne, Tom Brady and company, they had a buy to get right. You look at this end of the season schedule, chance to really end the year hot going into the playoffs. Is this the week we really see this Tampa Bay passing game start to click? I think it is. I mean, we haven't seen Minnesota really stop anybody, you know, in the passing game. Um, we know Minnesota's capable of scoring points, so most likely Tampa's going to need to score points. And man, I love the zoom out on Jefferson because I do get guilty of that. Like you said, we're so dialed in with utilization and all these different things. Sometimes you like look up, you're like, holy crap, that guy's like wide receiver six, you know. Um, so with Jefferson, the one thing I'll say is while Tampa can be tough, we've seen them slip lately as they play better competition and what they do give you is the chance for huge plays because they use so much man coverage so man coverage can be tough if you're playing against a good corner but if you're playing against a corner that's you know having a bad run or gets unlucky you know or just has been struggling man it's like it's better than playing against you know a bad zone team because the quarterback knows he has it pretty much every single play and we saw what Tyreek Hill did to them I mean they just completely destroyed Tampa Bay. So they're coming off a game where they're going to really need their cornerbacks to get right. So I'm with you. I love Justin Jefferson this week. I don't even think it's a bad stop spot. I'm starting him absolutely everywhere I have, everywhere I can. Um, as far as the Bucks go, yeah, I think they do get right. Um, the thing is, you know, if you're thinking about DFS purposes, it's just really tough to decide who you're gonna who you're gonna use, right? If you're gonna use Brady, I think Brady is a top five quarterback this week. If you look across the league, you look at the matchups. Some of our better quarterbacks do have some tougher matchups, so I think he's right in that conversation for the top five. Um, you're gonna, I would probably stack him with two guys, right? And then you know you're gonna do a bring back with either Jefferson or you're gonna do Thielen. So I think it's one of those situations where you've got to use two. If you look at the last four weeks, here are the targets: Godwin six, ten, nine; Evans eleven, eight, nine; Antonio Brown eight, thirteen, three; Gronk three, six, seven. So there's room for two of these guys to go off. It is the right kind of matchup for that. You know, if you're thinking season long, the way I look at these two, the way I look at all of these guys, I really consider Godwin Evans. And the wide receiver two range each have wide receiver one upside though, right? And they have a wide receiver three floor. I look at Antonio Brown. He's a wide receiver three, 
but he always has wide receiver one upside. All it takes is one or two big plays for him. And we've seen the games where he'll get targeted. You know, like I said, I just said week 11, 13 targets, right? For Antonio Brown, you would like to see a little more a dot, you know, to go with his a little bit more air yards. He's operating more underneath and intermediate, but he's still a player that looks good. Like he can make things happen after the catch. So pretty much all those guys are going to be in your lineups. And then Gronk, I just have as a low end tight end, um, one this week, you know, he can be a little bit hit or miss, but for the last couple of weeks, six and seven targets is pretty solid. Yeah, to your point, I do have Brady rank as my QB four this week. Vikings in week 14, Falcons in week 15, Lions in week 16, Falcons again in week 17. Expect some fireworks out of Tampa to end this season. Next matchup, we got the Chiefs at the Dolphins. KC sitting at seven and a half point favorites over under at 49. So this season in total receiving yards, DK Metcalf is in first, 1,119. Travis Kelsey is in second with 1,114. Tyreek Hill is in third with 1,079. If Tyreek had actually had that incredible long touchdown that he caught and didn't even realize that he caught, he would be number one in the NFL in receiving yards right now. Kelsey would be number three. There is a legitimate chance that Patrick Mahomes enables the number one and number two receivers in total receiving yards in the same season. I have not had a chance to go back and see if that's ever been done, but holy freaking crap, that is insane to me. And I think it does kind of beg the question, like who is quote-unquote, more important to the Chiefs' offensive success. You know, obviously Mahomes is number one, but in terms of Kelsey or Hill, you know, who you think the Chiefs would rather have? And personally, I do go with Tyreek. I think having that field-stretching threat, that, you know, just forces defense to have to really play around uh, him all game, I think that does help open up the intermediate areas of the field more so than Kelsey's presence helps open things up for Tyreek. So I saw Tyreek himself tweet that, you know, Kelsey should be Offensive Player of the Year, so maybe he actually feels differently. But, man, we look at, you know, since uh, these guys teamed up early in 2018 with Mahomes, under center uh, among all wide receivers with at least 10 targets thrown 20 yards downfield Tyreek is number one in the in the overall PFF receiving grade so a full 442 more receiving yards and five more touchdowns on those deep balls than anybody else look Kelsey has been so spectacular what we've seen at the uh, tight end position compared to literally anybody else I mean he is a number one receiver that we call a tight end but truly Tyreek Hill one of the most just incredible downfield talents the game has seen really ever man so incredible stuff and looking forward to seeing uh, Patrick Mahomes and company have a good challenge here because Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, they can certainly hold their own on the outside. But when this passing game is clicking, nobody can slow down. The, nobody can slow them down. Maybe we see Clyde Edwards-Alaire get a little more involved. Uh, you know, hopefully he's over this illness thing. I know we got that tricky situation going on, but just realize Mahomes. He is he's putting through his whole offense through Tyreek and Kelsey. The production has been glorious to watch. Dwayne Tua, I thought played his best game of the year, arguably last week. Yeah, man. I think he's starting to get more comfortable. You can see that he's just a little bit more decisive. Um, and, and this offense is consolidating, which you often see late in seasons, either because of attrition, right? Because a lot of times at this point, you'll see teams just shut players down, right? If they're just not 100% right, like we could see that with Galladay, um, even though he may eventually be right and ready to play, they just may not play him. So you're starting to see some things like that. But with the Dolphins, with Tua and the way they're operating, it's really a two-man show. It's Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki in the passing game. And then you've got the return of Miles Gaskin, right? So if you look at Gaskin last, last week, I mean, yeah, you had Ahmed was out. You had DeAndre Washington out. You had Matt Breida, but really who cares? He hadn't had a role all season. He was out. But the positive, you know, for, you know, Gaskin is there really weren't any, you know, signs of the coaching staff wanting to hold him back. I mean, he jumped right back in with 70% of the snaps. Um, he handled 72% of the rushing attempts, which was 21. He had uh, he only had two targets, but he was in a route almost 50% of the team drop back. So he really stepped right back into the role that he had had before. Um, and I don't know that I really see that changing. I think he could surrender a little bit from an attempt standpoint, but I also think once they have three active backs, 
Um, you're going to see him take over more of the two the two minute drill, more of the long down and distance, which he kind of gave way to last week to Patrick Laird. But I think it was mainly just because they only had two guys, right? They needed to spread it around somehow. They didn't want to. They didn't want either one of them to get injured. So I think Gaskin is really a. I think he's a solid low end RB one probably the rest of the way, just because of um, you know the utilization that he's going to see. Um, not necessarily an elite talent, but Miami's functional on offense. We've seen that if they get ahead, they're willing to pound him. They use him in the passing game, so I think that's good. If you come back to the passing game. Um, you know, if you look at Gasecki over the last four weeks, he's had at least five targets every single week. And this, this last week he had 10. So his routes and all those underlying metrics have been there all year. Right. But everything else had been inconsistent. So I think at this point you really can consider Gasecki, you know, a low end tight end one was still has that tight end one, you know, high end tight end one upside. And if you look at Avanti Parker, we talked about him enough on here. I mean, he's going to be in that 20 to 30% target range every single week. Um, yeah, you prefer Ryan Fitzpatrick with Parker. Things just seem to go better with him than they do with Tua, but it's not because the volume isn't there, um, you know, with Tua at the helm. So they just need to push the ball down a little bit, push the ball down the field a little bit more. Tua's a little bit more reluctant just to go to him anytime he sees a one-on-one covers the way Fitzpatrick would, but it's not enough to not think that Devontae Parker, you know, is not valid of, you know, is not valid as a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, especially in medium, large size league. You know, he pretty much should be in starting lineups across um, all formats. Yeah, definitely saw enough from Tua last week to get back on the Devontae Parker train, particularly in a matchup like this, where just don't think the Chiefs really have something that can match up with him physically on the outside. Uh, next matchup, Broncos at the Panthers, seeing Carolina sitting as four-point favorites, game total of 47. So, Drew Locke, the first time I think I talked about Drew Locke on this podcast, I described him as AFC, waste, AFC West Jameis after a Coke bender, and man, I think it's holding up pretty well here after about, you know, 13, 14, maybe even 15 career starts at this point. So, two of my favorite, you know, just... Behind, you know, the paywall stats that PFF has are big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays. We all understand what these are. They just aren't things that are necessarily kept in a box score unless you know your PFF. And we try to, you know, get numbers for everything because that is our job and what we try to do. But if you look at those two metrics, you know, this year we've had 37 QBs have at least 150 dropbacks. Drew Locke is fifth in big-time throw rate behind only Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and Patrick Mahomes. Number five, and if you say, oh, you guys' big-time throw metrics are just off, no. Drew Locke has never attempted a freaking pass that he did not believe he could complete. Just so happens that a lot of those passes, you know, okay, he might complete a couple, and then he'll turn it over the ball freaking the rest of the time. So in turnover-worthy plays in that same sample, he has the second-worst turnover-worthy play rate behind only Mitch Trubisky. So truly, we are seeing just the most roller coaster, good, bad flashes of greatness, and then just horribleness Ever since, I think we've seen uh, with Jameis Winston, you know, it really in his prime with the 30 for 30 season last year in 2019. So I love what Drew Locke has brought to the table. Is it something that, you know, resembles anything, you know, near Jameis in terms of fantasy production? No, but it's been fun to watch. And because of that, you know, it's just good TV, man. As someone that watches every single game, every single week, like I get joy out of watching, out of seeing that Drew Locke and the Broncos are on next because we see these dips of good and bad. So I don't know if he's going to work out long-term, but man, it's been a fun ride and I'm looking forward to more of it. So Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy hey most of the targets should be on their way no offense too but just realize ups and downs we might see a ceiling we might see a floor it's a Drew Lock experience everybody embrace it Dwayne Panthers got some COVID stuff going on but sounds like Christian McCaffrey's back 
Yeah, you get McCaffrey back, obviously you're going to insert him in any lineup that you have him in. Um, he helps really everything else around him. Of course, he does take away some of the targets, you know, from some of the other guys. Um, you know, in 2020, where everything seems to be ripped away from us, you know, Ian, you know, we saw the DJ Moore takeover literally happening for like three weeks in a row where we had seven targets, nine targets, nine targets. Air yards were 114, 110, 136. I mean, the guy was seeing targets in the end zone. I mean, everything was going for DJ Moore. And then we have this ankle injury. So we'll have to wait and see, um, you know, from what I've read from a couple of experts, they didn't believe that it was a high ankle, you know, sprain based on the mechanism, the way it looked, but it was a pretty violent lower um, ankle sprain. You know, the neg- the x-rays and everything came back negative. So we'll have to see what happens with more from a practice standpoint, but I'm hoping he gets out there and we see a couple of fools or at least a full by the end of the week, because DJ Moore is a guy that, I think he was just starting to hit his stride. I think he and Teddy Bridgewater were just starting to really hit their mojo. Of course, one of those games was with P.J. Walker, um, former XFL player, who just basically went out there and just showed Teddy how to do it. Look, just fling it to this guy. That's all you got to do. This guy will make good things happen for you, Teddy. You do not have to go underneath for three yards every single play. This guy can make things happen. So DJ Moore is a guy I'll definitely be watching. But if he is out, Obviously, Robbie Anderson gets a little bit of a tick up, um, and you're also going to have Curtis Samuel with a tick up. I mean, Samuel's been, you know, he's hard to predict, but he's got a ceiling that he didn't have early in the year, right, where he can have these eight, ten target performances. I think that's tougher with McCaffrey in the mix because McCaffrey gets so many looks in the passing game. But when we saw McCaffrey come back before, Samuel was still eating into a little bit of that. He was still seeing a little bit of work out of the backfield. So I see this week, you know, Samuel is a wide receiver four, you know, type player-ish if you don't have, you know, DJ Moore. If you have DJ Moore in the lineup, you know, and I see, you know, Robbie Anderson as a wide receiver three. But if you have DJ Moore out, obviously they both move up you know, in this situation. As far as DJ Moore, if he's playing as long as he gets a full end, you know, I'll be super excited about him. Sorry, Ian, if I missed anything on COVID, I've been heads down with normal work. So if any of these guys are out and I'm a, and I'm an idiot, then just tell all the listeners now so they don't screw something up. <laughs> You're good, man. I believe Curtis is the one that is on the list. Oh, is it? okay. it's, it's tough to tell with the list, okay. man, because they get put on and then we don't yeah. know if it's a close contact or if they actually have it. So like every other team, everybody continue to, uh, you know, just monitor it and tune into the Friday edition of this podcast. That's when I go over Thursday night football and what injuries to monitor ahead of the weekend. So you're good, Dwayne. We're talking about this on Tuesday night. We just want to get some good facts out there. Everyone has plenty of other time to further form their opinions, as always. Next matchup, we got the Texans at the Bears. Houston sitting as one point favorites. Game total started at 46, down to 44 and a half. So look, Deshaun Watson, no matter what people are, I understand going to Chicago is not the most ideal matchup, but you know, we are seeing this Bears defense start to slip a little bit. Aaron Rodgers put up 25.6 fancy points against them two weeks ago. Matthew Stafford. 26.1 last week. I mean, that's a consecutive games with over 25 points. No opposing QB had cleared even 20 fantasy points against this defense in weeks one through 11. So certainly think Deshaun Watson has what it takes to become the third such quarterback. Look, this year, four quarterbacks have a PFF passing grade of at least 90. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson. Do not let the Texans 4-8 and eight record distract from the reality that Deshaun Watson has still very much been a top five real-life quarterback. Let's talk about this on the uh, Monday edition of this podcast and had a clip post on 
Twitter where, you know, they didn't do me a ton of favors with the tweet. They were saying that uh, I said Watson was the second best QB in the NFL right now. No, I do not think that. I think Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson for most of the year have played better. I put them probably number four, number five this year. The real point I wanted to make was that if we had to start a team over the next 10 years, obviously we're all taking Patrick Mahomes first. I really think if you wanted to consider, you know, a decade in the future, we probably want Deshaun Watson number two. So he has been that good. And the fact he's done it, man, with Will Fuller getting, or losing to Andre Hopkins, now getting Will Fuller suspended, not having Brandon Cooks for long stretches of a game against a Colts team that was doing really what they wanted at the line of scrimmage. Didn't matter. He was a bad snap away from pretty much single-handedly pulling that one out. So again, it's been a lost season for the Houston Texans, but please, football gods, get Deshaun Watson a real freaking coach and a GM and someone that can set the suit up for success. Do not waste the prime of one of the best quarterbacks we have seen in recent memory. Dwayne, the Bears. We've talked about Montgomery throughout this year, calling him a volume-based RB2. Here we are at week 14. I checked before his podcast, PPR RB11 on the season. Madness. <laughs> I know. Isn't that amazing? It's like it blows me away, and it, and it shows, like, the carousel that we've had at running back, you know, this season, um, you know, and just, you know, how volatile, you know, the whole thing has been. But here's the thing with Montgomery. While he's definitely been, you know, a volume-based back, I've seen a little bit, and you watch every game. I have gone back and watched um, Montgomery the week before. I haven't got to go back and watch this week yet, but I did see some of it on Sunday. Um, man, he he's playing different. You know, I think the last time we were on, I joked that, you know, maybe his coaches, you know, had told him in the past that the end zone is on the sideline because he's always <laughs> moving to the side instead of forward. And really over the last two weeks, um, you know, we've seen him correct that. I mean, maybe maybe he listened to the podcast. Ian. I wouldn't <laughs> doubt it. Maybe he's probably not a friend of the show after hearing that, but maybe he'll credit us, you know, with helping him get his game on track. Um, but if you look, you know, if you go look at next gen stats, you know, over at NFL.com, you'll see that he was the number one ranked um, running back in rushing yards over expected in week 12. He was the number 11 in week 13. Those are not normally numbers that you see, um, you know, this particular running back put up. Um, Also his efficiency, which is how many yards he travels to gain a yard, right? So the larger the number means basically the more yards it takes him to gain a yard, an official yard on the stat sheet. Normally, if you look at him last year, 4.05, that was in the bottom 16. Last week had that down under a four and the week before was at a 1.93. So he's just, I think maybe there's some coaching going on here and he's just decided, fine, screw it. I'm going to be a little bit less east and west. I'm going to be a little more north and south. I'm going to make my moves once I get to the second level. But rather than what we'd seen in the past, where he's, he's doing all that behind the line of scrimmage, he's spending too much time. It's allowing all the other tacklers to close in and take away his, take away, you know, his potential angles of escape. You know, and the next thing you know, you got four guys around you. It doesn't really matter how good you are. If you've got four NFL tacklers around you, pretty much you're screwed with a very, very limited number of, you know, players that can maybe sometimes get out of that type of thing. But for the most part, you know, you're done once that happens. So the thing I'm most excited about, you know, with him is it it looks like maybe he's taking his game to a different level and there's some coaching that's going on. Um, As far as, you know, the volume, it's all there. I mean, 74% and 79% of the routes over the last two weeks, that's elite. 73% and 55% of the attempts, the 73% elite last week, um, they got Corderell Patterson involved a little bit at the end of the game, but he still had 16 attempts. He's 100% of the attempts inside the five, got 93% of the two-minute work, 100% of the long down and distance work. So it's just another player that's on the field all the time. And the offense is showing, a, they don't look great, but they're showing a little bit as far as signs of life. 
life, right? You know, so hopefully we have Allen Robinson back to 100%. He clearly wasn't all the way there. He tweaked his knee at the end of last week, you know, in a Friday practice. You could tell he was a little bit limited. Um, but they seem to be potentially, and again, I'm not saying this is a jog or not, but I think we're seeing the Bears offense maybe make a little bit of a step forward. And obviously, you know, that means Montgomery's a piece of that. So I think he's a, before we would have called him just a, a, a volume RB2. I think he's at the bottom end of the RB1 conversation now with what we've seen over the last two weeks as far as his efficiency. I think you're right, man. Even if you want to be a hater and say, oh, no, it's just a schedule. He played the Packers and the Lions. Those are two of the three worst, you know, defenses and PPR points per game allowed to opposing RBs. Well, now he gets a trifecta. He gets the other bottom three defense in the Houston <laughs> Texans. So not a problem we need to worry about in week 14 at a minimum. Next matchup, we got the Cardinals at the Giants. Arizona sitting as two and a half point favorites. Kind of surprising. But I think we haven't seen really these lines uh, get solidified yet with Daniel Jones' status still in question. So game total sitting at 45 either way so Kyler without his rushing is pretty much what we are seeing happen to Alvin Kamara without his receiving ability it's been brutal because look last three weeks Murray has just five rushes in three consecutive games after surpassing that number in all but one game in weeks one through ten so if you just take Kyler's only his rushing production compared to other quarterbacks he's easily in first place still you know even with him having these you know kind of just a drier games for the past few weeks if you look at only his passing production compared to all the other passing production from the quarterbacks he's 14th this is still someone that can be a borderline QB1, you know, without his rushing. But my goodness, man, it's not helping matters. It's, you know, we're pretty much taking away Thor's hammer here. Or many Thor's, many hammer, however you want to call it with Kyler. But, you know, it's truly just at this point in the year, we need to adjust in a hurry because the fantasy playoffs are on the line. And look, man, the Giants, as we saw last week when they pretty much took apart one of the better offenses we've seen this year and Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, they're not bad. They're not bad at all. And I think if James Bradbury can give even a little bit of problems to DeAndre Hopkins, we're going to see this passing game start out a little bit so i have kyler as my qb 10 this this week man it doesn't feel good he's someone that i really didn't think we'd be moving out of that overall number one spot he's still running around as fast as ever obviously you can still run fast even with a shoulder injury but clearly something about his decision making has changed in terms of the hits he's willing to take and you could say hey we're getting later in the season like maybe he's going to just say screw it and go for it that would have happened last week against the rams and you know a massive game for both of those squads so it's concerning he's not the same fantasy stud he's still a qb1 but much more along that borderline you know hey, maybe he snaps out of it and comes back. I understand, you know, not many teams are going to have Kyler and another high-end quarterback to really choose from, but just realize it's a very real problem. And in this matchup that isn't ideal, you know, we need to adjust accordingly. So Kenyon Drake's been the main beneficiary of this. He's getting the goal line rush attempts. He's another one of these guys along with Montgomery that you kind of look at the overall season production, not quite as bad as we were making out to be earlier in the year. And with Drake also getting those targets, uh, things are working out as well. So I know a lot of people have just been screaming for Chase Evans. And Evans has been a very good receiver, but Kenyon Drake, even coming back from this ankle injury, man, I almost think he's looked better post-injury than he did pre-injury, which I guess is a pretty Kenyon Drake thing to do and just the way 2020's been going. But whatever, we'll take it. Drake can be fired up as a legit upside RB2. Don't get too carried away. But Kyler, I'm just concerned about it. And, you know, because of that, with Hop, we can trust Hopkins. Obviously, you know, he's your weekly top five wide receiver. But otherwise, just tough to feel too good about anyone in this offense. It's the wrong time of the year to be trending downwards, but that's the reality we're being dealt right now. Dwayne, we saw Colt McCoy lead a gritty, you know, Jim Rat-inspired-esque performance last Yeah, no, he was crap, man. But what do you got to say about the Giants? I mean, how about this NFC East and the joggernauts knocking <laughs> off the Steelers and the Seahawks? Wow. 
what in the hell is going on? I don't know. Um, you know, the Giants, like you said, you're dealing with Colt McCoy now, so it's really tough to get too excited. We'll have to see what happens with Daniel Jones. Not that he's been great, um, but he at least will push the ball a little bit further down the field, which makes makes each one of these targets a little more viable. Um what I do like is you have seen a consolidation across this offense. You know, we talked about that a minute ago with the Dolphins. So really, this is, comes down now to the number one option is Evan Ingram. The number two option is Sterling Shepard. And then Wayne Gallman continues to get his. So we'll break each one of those down just really quickly. Evan Ingram is, is easy. You just lock him in. If you've got him every week, unless you own Kelsey or you own uh, Darren King, King Darren Waller, um, because he won a lot of people a lot of money this last week. So he deserves to be called King at least for oh! the week. Um, <laughs> Dwayne, oh my God, Des Bryant tested positive for COVID and he's out. Are you serious? I wore my sweatshirt for nothing. Oh, dude, Should, do we need to stop the show? Do we need to just? Do you need a moment? Wow. All right, <laughs> man. Oh, this is disappointing. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, you know I'm a huge Cowboy fan. I live in Dallas, so oh I'm always gosh. a Des supporter. I and hashtag Des caught it. Um, hashtag Des caught it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to give Ian a moment, you know, folks to regroup. So we'll, we'll go back to, to the Giants, but Evan Ingram, uh, pretty much a start every week, unless you got one of the top two, three options. Um, Sterling Shepard, also really in line. You know, I consider him a wide receiver three pretty much every week right now. You do want to be careful when they get ahead over the last couple of weeks, man. Listen to the Giants, man. Listen to these tight end snaps. So you got Evan Ingram out there for 96% and 71%. And then last week, Caden Smith was somehow on the field for 66%, and Levine Toyololo was also on the field for 57%. That's a lot of heavy formation. So um, obviously, they want to protect Colt McCoy. They know Colt McCoy is not very good. I think they also know that Daniel Jones really isn't very good, but he's somewhat better than Colt McCoy. So you do have to watch out for that with Sterling Shepard. Um, if you get into a situation where the Giants are, you know, can play it close to the vest, you know, or they're leading, it's going to hurt Shepard. Here's the good news. That rarely ever happens to the Giants. They're like, they're, they're typically behind. It was really a, a rare scenario. Last week, Sterling Shepard was on the field for only 48% of the snaps, but he was still on a route, 81%. That's why routes matter so much more than snaps, folks, if you haven't. I'm sure you've caught on by now, but if you're talking about receivers, honestly, you don't even care about snap counts. If we talk about it, honestly, we're just trying to fill air. You can just call <laughs> us out on it. All that matters are the routes per drop back. And 81% still pretty solid. You want receivers in the 90% range. But that just shows you when they're going to pass the ball, they want Sterling Shepard on the field. Okay, so that's going to continue to happen. And then Gallman, man, I mean, if you look at him over the last three weeks, Ian, 18, 24, 16 attempts. Like this guy is like, I mean, goodness. You look at his targets, 2-4, didn't get one this last week, 0 Alf Morris, like what a bum. What's this guy doing? Coming out here and stealing touchdowns from our 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 amazing Wayne Gallman. But anyway, Gallman, he's an RB2. He does still bring some volatility with him, folks, because he's not out there for long down and distance. He's not out there for the two-minute offense. Literally, he sees somewhere between 0 and 10% you know, of those plays. So when the Giants are not in closer games like they have been over the last few weeks, Gallman's, um, you know, his floor is going to be at risk, you know, each week. Um, his upside, you know, is really all tied to his touchdowns. He's still going to get the carries for the most part inside the five. Every once in a while you get a Martian named Alf that comes in and steals some of these. But for the most part, you're going to consider Gallman, you know, a low-end RB2. As far as this week against Arizona, with everything Ian, you outlined with, with Kyler, you know, struggling, 
Assuming the Giants are going to take a similar game plan, you know, there's a chance that the Giants keep, you know, this game a little bit closer than what we would have thought like three or four weeks ago. So I think Gallman is startable. I am with you there, and I'm slowly but surely overcoming this just dread. Man, I don't hear it. I don't hear it in your voice I'm like gonna, your normal enthusiasm. It's gone. I'm gonna it's gone. Couple couple punches <laughs> in the chin. I'm back, baby. All right, next match. Oh my gosh, of course the Cowboys are next. Cowboys at Bengals. Cowboys three and a half point favorites over under from 43 and a half up to 45 and a half. Gonna keep the Cowboys short because again we are recording this about 10 minutes before the game that is scheduled to kick off so we will not know what happens. But I'm not expecting it to look good because now Zach Barton has been removed from the equation. He is now an injury injury reserve with a calf in, in, in injury. Look the reason why the Cowboys offense when they went from Romo to Dak or they went from, you know, DeMarco Murray to Zeke or, you know, they lost Prime Dez. The reason they've always been able to overcome these injuries and these changes and player personnel movement was because the one consistency in the offense for really the past, uh, you know, decade, for at least the better half of the last decade, has been just this all-world offensive line. That has been gone throughout most of the season. We saw that even with Zach Martin there. He was enough to hold it up. Taking away Zach Martin, man. Like, look, the camel's, bra- camel's back already broken and all that, but this is like just throwing a freaking extra 100 pounds of just steel on top of that dead camel already. So this Cowboys offense, since they lost Dak, 10 points versus the Cardinals, 3 versus the football team, 9 versus the Eagles. Actually impressive 19 versus Steelers with Gilbert under center. 31 against the Vikings team that is like just ridiculously, I think they are actually 32nd in pressure, right? Like the one team that cannot pressure the quarterback the Cowboys did okay against. And then 19 and then 16, excuse me, against the football team on Thanksgiving. So we'll see what happens versus the Ravens, man. I'm expecting another sub-20 point performance. And because of that, even in a good matchup, you know, we got a Red Rocket revenge game here against the Bengals. I think Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper are the only even somewhat viable plays. Zeke's going to be, you know, a volume-based RB2. He's pretty much David Montgomery with a bigger name at this point. And Amari Cooper, he is the one guy we have seen kind of rise to the top of Andy Dalton's pecking order. And to Coop's credit, I mean, he's still out there running good routes, doing his thing. I think he could, you know, make the most of his situation. The problem is we don't have that same scoring upside because the offensive line and, of course, Dalton, you know, being such a big downgrade from Dak. But we just realized the reason why these guys and Andy Dalton even despite having the best skill position talent of his career can't do it behind this shell of an offensive line Dwayne Ryan Finley Brandon Allen I don't think it matters man let's keep this one short because I think this Bengals team might be the legit worst team in the league right now I I think actually we could take everything you just said and we could apply it to the Bengals (laughs) and we could just insert T Higgins insert his name instead of Amari Cooper He's literally the only asset from a fantasy perspective you're even considering. You know, he's had nine, five, seven targets. So that's 24, 19, 27%. You know, he squeaked out a touchdown, you know, the week before last. Um, You know, the guy's a great talent. I mean, look, talk about a great class of rookie receivers. I mean, across the board. So Higgins is it, man. Outside of now, Tyler Boyd, great. You, You may consider him as well, you know, but only as a volume play. Outside of those two guys, you're not, you're not touching anybody on the Bengals. Bengals last two weeks about a kick return touchdown, a garbage time, you know, prevent defense induced touchdown against the Giants. 74 yard Tyler Boyd screen, and that is it for the scoring. So, yeah, stay the hell away, people. Colts after Raiders next matchup. Indy sitting as two and a half point favorites over under at 52. Look, this Colts backfield, it's muddled. And, you know, so is the wide receiver room. But, you know, we got the Raiders this week and the Texans next week. Finally, we can actually take some shots on this unit and I think feel somewhat good about the upside. So on the year, again, we're seeing just some different guys pop up. And I understand there's a difference between using, you know, PPR points per game and just overall season rank. So I think per game is a better indicator. But 
still at some point these numbers are kind of wild and jonathan taylor night hines are the ppr rb 16 and the rb 15 on the season so it hasn't always been consistent but i really think jonathan taylor might finally be giving us that end of the season stretch that we've been hoping for really since uh you know october rolled around so over the past two weeks jonathan taylor has forced as many missed tackles which is nine on the ground as he did in weeks one through ten combined i don't give a shit about that 39 yard swing pass he took to the house where no one was even within 10 yards of him the entire time like everyone making over his receiving ability it's great he's caught 29 of 30 targets this year but he's not Naeem Hines he's not replacing Naeem Hines Naeem Hines is always gonna be their pass down back the thing that's staring everyone in the freaking face that they're ignoring is how good Taylor's looked as a rusher he's actually showing good vision like he's doing things that we weren't seeing earlier in the year we were getting Trent Richardson comps because the dude was running into the back of his you know offensive lineman instead of seeing the hole multiple runs over the past few weeks where he's actually been you know cutting the outside cutting back inside you know making these jump cuts that we see from running backs with great vision so hey maybe it's been because he's had soft matchups but you look at what's coming up Raiders and the Texans again hey those are soft matchups so Jonathan Taylor legit low-end RB2 this week and he has the potential if things get going and they actually give him these 20 touches that we've been hoping he'd get on a more consistent basis could honestly finish up with an RB1 but he will be a recommended start in this first round of the fantasy football playoffs as for the wide receivers I have the same exact attitude towards T.Y. Hilton as I did towards Michael Pittman. Everyone's freaking out after his two uh, back-to-back big games. It's that, hey, this is crowded. It's going to be inconsistent. We might see some solid performances because Phillip Rivers has been a very efficient passer this year, but we need to wait for a good matchup. This is the good matchups, but just don't freak out. Hilton, Michael Pittman, they're boomer bust wide receiver threes. They're going to be guys that are probably not going to crack my top 30. They will be inside the top 40. You could do worse than having a receiver facing the Raiders. Just don't get carried away. Since their week seven Michael Pittman leads the way with 32 targets. Naeem Hines at 30. T.Y. Hilton's at 28. Zach Pascal's at 26. Trey Burns at 22. We have four more guys between 11 and 18. So Rivers spreads the ball around just as much as anyone. I mean, hey, he's going to put up numbers. It's just hard to figure out who it's going to come to. Most confidence, though, in Jonathan Taylor this week. Dwayne, Derek Carr and company. What a freaking end. I feel like almost, okay, we can all agree that Greg Williams, you know, call was just absolutely atrocious, but that was a hell of a throw by Derek Carr and like in a huge situation. Like you can say what you want about that play. That Jets cornerback didn't want to give up the touchdown. I feel like we're just all glossing over the fact that, hey, Derek Carr, hell of a throw in a big moment. Yeah, it was, man. I mean, and overall, I mean, really, if you look at Carr, like his down the field prowess has improved this year. You know, he's shown that he's willing to push it down the field more. One, that was a big component. We didn't know, does the guy even have the mental makeup to be willing to push it down the field? And that was in question. I think this year we've seen that. And part of that comes back to really the weapons. You know, I mean, if you look at Nelson Aguilar, they're using him to stretch the field. Henry Ruggs is still not doing as much as we would want. Of course, it's a terrible year for him because he's in this receiving class with like, where seemingly we've got, you know, like 10 guys that are in the top 36 that are all rookies. Um, from a fantasy perspective, and Henry Ruggs isn't one of those. But it was a nice spot for him. You know, he saw an increase in his routes from 65% to 84%. So that's a positive for him. Still nobody you're going to trust in your lineups other than a DFS dart throw. Um, And really, this isn't necessarily the defense to probably even try that against. But again, if it's just a dart throw, you can go ahead. Aguilar, on the other hand, you know, it's interesting. He's had four, six, and 11 targets, man, this last week. 11. So earlier in the season, we were seeing these one target, two targets, zero targets, three targets. He's at least out of that now, right? He's going to be, I think, somewhere between, you know, five, six, seven targets probably each week. 
Um, he's not out there for as many routes as I would like to see. Normally you want your receivers 80%, preferably 90% and above. He's been at 74%, 69%, 75%. And we also know that if they can, if they do happen to get up, they will just run the rock, right? Everything is based off of, you know, really their ground game. That's how they want to get their offense going. So Aguilar still carries plenty of risk. I don't like him as much in season long, but he's another guy in DFS, you know, that he's probably not going to pop for a lot of people just because it didn't come, it didn't come through in a big way for him last week. But two 227 air yards, man, at 20.6 average depth of target, kind of for 45% of the team's air yards. Um, you know, he's out there pretty much if they're gonna, if they know they need to pass the ball, you know, and, and two minute offense, uh, long down and distance, he's typically out there. So not quite where we want from a route perspective, but I think he's, he's in that wide receiver four wide receiver three range, but he's got that boom upside that you're looking for more as a DFS play versus a season long season long. You're really only considering him if you're in a really deep league with deep starters um, and it's crunch time right now with playoffs. I, I just can't make the recommendation for him, you know, unless, you know, I would have to see somebody's lineup, but typically I'm trying to stay away from these guys. The only other thing here is really just to mention that Devonta Booker, you know, is interesting um, you know, he did get the attempts. He saw 16 of them, which was 70%, you know, of the team's work, but you just, you thought he'd see a little bit more work in the passing game because he had been used that way before, but they really just gave all that to Jalen Richard. It just shows you that really, you know, Gruden wants to use a committee. He just does. That's, that's what he wants to do. He doesn't care which two backs or which three backs are active. He's going to force one of them into, into the role that's open. And so I thought Booker might have a little bit more of a, of a, you know, a floor protection, if you will, with his receiving ability, um, you know, because we did see that last year with DeAndre Washington, when he came in for Jacobs, all of a sudden he was seeing like 50% of the routes, but really we know now it's just because they didn't have anybody else, you know, to have active with him because I think Richard was actually banged up in some of those games. So um, Booker, I think he's a low end RB two if for some reason Jacobs misses again, um, but that's really it. You know, Renfro is just a guy you can't trust, man. It's all on game script. They're not going to run a lot of 11 personnel if they're in a game where they're close to their leading. They have to get behind and in those games then you've got a viable fantasy option you know and hunter renfro so it's just too hard to predict yeah we got blast from the past uh theo riddick also uh, muddling his way into this committee as well <laughs> yeah. uh quick uh, limited offer to shout out to everyone subscribe to pff's elite annual subscription using promo code action to receive a year of elite subscription access and one year 365 days of action pro subscription access for just 199.99 this is a limited time offer that's currently only made available now through the super bowl february 7th 2020 this offer also only applies to first time elite annual subscribers that's promo code action everybody receive a year of elite subscription access and one year of action pro subscription as well 199 code action get it done next matchup we got the jets at the seahawks seahawks opened up as 15 point favorites that's down 13 and a half game total about 47 and a half so i do my qb rankings article on monday and i spent a good five to six minutes wondering if sam Darnold was actually you know a streaming candidate this week my answer is no he is not but this did inspire me to make arguably my favorite video i've ever posted on twitter which is you know sam Darnold rushing highlight film with remember the name by fort minor in the background i'm feeling good about it that's it though yeah don't play darnold don't play any of these wide receivers he switched from perryman and mims back to crowder who knows where who it's going to be next week okay ty johnson first 100 yard rusher in the adam gase era 
Who knows if Frank Gore is going to be back from concussion protocol. Josh Adams is going to be there. And they're probably going to elevate someone else. So Jets, 32nd ranked scoring offense. And credit to the Seahawks. You know, they got Jamal Adams back about five weeks ago. I know he's being lit up in coverage pretty much every time he tries to guard anybody. But seven and a half sacks on the year. We've now seen the Seahawks allow fewer than 300 passing yards in four straight games versus the Rams, Cardinals, Eagles, and Giants. No longer just a freaking dream matchup we were quite hoping for from the QB position. I do not think Sam Darnold and company has what it takes to really do what these other passing offenses couldn't. So my answer to which Jet to play this week is no. Dwayne, what's going on with Russell Wilson and company? They got to bounce back here, right? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm hoping so. I mean, <laughs> the Jets are a get right versus anybody, <laughs> right? I mean, we saw it for Herbert, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. You already mentioned, you know, last week what Carr was able to do. So uh, obviously, you know, the Seahawks have the weapons. The biggest thing with the Seahawks is really that everyone has just decided that they just don't want to let them take the top off the defense, right? They still do occasionally, but it's not like early in the season where it was like, it seemed like, you know, every 10 passes, Russell Wilson was hitting like a 40 yard bomb for a touchdown. Those days are over. Um, Teams have just adjusted to the way they're going to play them. They want to make them, you know, have to move the ball down the field more, more methodically. Um, the Seahawks do continue to throw the ball. It's not like they're trying to ground and pound the ball. Um, Chris Carson, you know, really saw a nice uptick this last week with 81% of the attempts. But think 81% of the attempts in the old Seahawk offense would have been, been like, you know, 400 carries like in one game. It was only 13 this last week, but Carson did see six targets. So, you know, anytime you're in an offense with, that has the upside like this and, with, and you're going to be in the 15 to 20 touch range, you're right there in the cusp of the low end RB1, you know, conversation for Carson. We will have to see what's going to happen with Rashad Penny. You also had Carlos Hyde playing kind of banged up this last week. I still worry a little bit that this could turn into a three-back committee, given the fact that they know Chris Carson has had trouble staying healthy in the past. So kind of keeping an eye on that. But I think for this week, we're probably going to be safe for Chris Carson as a low-end RB1. As far as the passing game goes, the biggest notice I've the biggest thing I've noticed, Ian, you know, I'd be you know interested in getting your thoughts. So I just talked about, you know, how teams are really forcing them to change their game plan. And it's it really who it's impacting the most is Tyler Lockett. So if you looked at Tyler Lockett over the first several games of the season, you know, his ADOTs were up in the eights, nines, tens, even games that were popping up over the 10, you know, and he'd get some of those deep slot, you know, crosser type passes, um, you know, or he would be stretching the seam vertically. Um, and a lot of that's just gone. If you look over the last three weeks, his average depth of target is 5.9, 6.5, 6.7. Those are the three lowest marks of the year, and they've all come in a row. So it's really, it's tough on Lockett. You know, it really puts him now down to the wide receiver two instead of the wide receiver one. I know where he's sitting on a season long. Obviously, you're not going to bench the guy. Things could change. The Jets are obviously a great way to change that. But really right now, what Lockett's going to depend on is he's going to have to do more after the catch. A lot of what was coming his way, you know, on those deep throws, Really, the like I said, these other teams are just really forcing them to do something different. So with Lockett, just treat him more as a wide receiver too the rest of the way, especially if you're playing DFS and you're looking at the salary. Don't just continue to think of what you saw earlier in the season. I'm not saying these things couldn't you know revert back because teams fall into this. When they look at film, you know, when a defense studies, they're looking at the last three to four weeks, right? So as they see that the Seahawks offense has changed, there is a chance, you know, a team could particularly try to say, okay, we're going to stop Tyler Lockett underneath. Well, then you're going to hit Tyler Lockett over the top. I don't think we're going to see that though, because most teams will remember how well this team was playing early in the season, what an offensive juggernaut they were. And just by taking away those deep passes, teams have just really slowed them down. I mean, they're struggling to figure out, you know, how to put up the points that they were before. I mean, obviously we just saw them lose to the Giants. So I think I'm, you know, I'm officially worried. I mean, you know, about this offense. I have been, you know, for a couple of weeks, but there's no way I'm been, if I, if I own Russell Wilson, I'm starting him, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it's not really anything, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking at this week as well, like he's going to, he's, 
I haven't done my rankings yet, but he's got to be in my top five, you know, quarterbacks given some of the other matchups, some of the other guys are facing. I fully intended to move him out of the top five this week. I thought it was warranted. I thought it was necessary. I couldn't. He's number three. They're playing the freaking Jets. I hear you. Everyone has been, you know, keyed in on stopping it. And maybe you're moving Greg Williams from the picture will just magically lead to a better defense. But, man, there's one defense we can face to get the downfield passing game right. It's this one. I would just highlight what you said about Tyler Lockett. It has not been pretty over these past, you know, month and a half. You still need to start him, people. He's not locked in as that wide receiver one. I get it. If you happen to be blessed with four, you know, four or five top 12 wide receivers, okay, maybe he's hitting the bench. It's unfortunate it's gone this way, but yes, you know, with the you know with the change in his usage, to your point, okay, this is a situation where we can't actually downgrade it, but still has that boom. And we were having similar conversations about Lockett this time last year after he had a goose egg in week 13. He did end the year fairly strong. Hopefully he can do so again. Next matchup, we got the Packers at the Lions. Green Bay sitting at seven-point favorites, game total at 55. So just, I want to highlight just how absurd Devontae Adams has been this season, and then we can pretty much get on with our day. We know we're starting Aaron Jones, Aaron Rodgers, and this is just a smash spot of all smash spots versus Detroit Lions. Rodgers is my number one quarterback on the week. But looking at Devontae, week one, he's overall wide receiver one. Week two, he gets injured. Week six, he comes back. He's a wide receiver 30. Good game by Carlton Davis, and that was Rodgers' worst game of the year against Tampa Bay. Since then, here's been his weekly finishes. Wide receiver two, wide receiver two, wide receiver two, wide receiver 12, wide receiver seven, wide receiver 16, and wide receiver two again. Devontae Adams is putting up absolutely ridiculous numbers. Nothing is more inevitable, as Danny Kelly from the Ringer likes to call it, than Devontae Adams scoring pretty much every single Sunday. So he has had two duds this season. Other than that, he has legitimately finished as a top 16 receiver every single week. You know, if you remove the top 12 one from there, then we're talking top seven or higher. So cannot say enough good things about Devontae Adams. I know some people are rich rebar. From a sharp football was, I think, the first guy I saw in the entire offseason to put Devontae ahead of Michael Thomas. Obviously, you know, Thomas getting injured and Drew Brees, you know, not being there for him now has changed that. But truly, people, in fantasy football, we want to chase volume. And if you look back in August around all the receivers in the league, you know, Devontae Adams was someone that we were preaching on this podcast that, hey, he could have a target total that's all said and done starting with the two. So, unfortunately, Devontae's own, uh, you know, injuries have limited his overall just galaxy ceiling. But he's still making the most of it down the stretch, and he should continue to do so in the fantasy football playoffs so Rodgers you know Adams Jones even Robert Tunyon we're feeling good about these guys this week because the Lions don't think they can slow down anybody 55 point game total that is up there expecting plenty of points in this one Dwayne inspiring kind of performance from uh, Stafford and company last week you know obviously the Mitch Trubisky fumble inside his own 10 yard line help but hey a win is a win is a win post Patricia era let's go yeah, man. It, it really did surprise me. I mean, um, doing that and doing it against the Bears, which you touched on earlier, that's two different teams that have touched them up a little bit over the last couple of weeks. But yeah, I mean, I was like, wow, without Galladay, um, without having DeAndre Swift active, you know, they managed to put up some points and Stafford had a really good week. So I think the other thing you're seeing here with the Lions is you just have consolidation. Again, that's kind of been a theme, right, that I've talked about with a few different teams. So from a fantasy you know, standpoint, you just mentioned earlier, we want to chase volume. And that's what you're getting right now from TJ Hawkinson and Marvin Jones. So if you look at the two of them, Jones targets over the last four weeks, 10, 6, 12, 12. Hawkinson over the last three weeks, 6, 7, 9. That's 25, 18, 25%. You know, he's on the field for plenty of the routes. Really, the offense is funneling through them. Yeah, Danny Amendola will sneak in here or there. Um, you know, you got, uh, you know, Muhammad Sanu sneaking in here or there, but really the offense is running through these two guys. 
we can pause for a moment. Should we light a candle for DeAndre Swift? Like I, we're dying to see DeAndre Swift, you know, but the main thing is we just need that guy to get healthy and be well, you know, hopefully that, you know, this illness and some of the things he's dealing with isn't like lingering effects, you know, from a concussion, you know, you saw the comments from Adrian Peterson last week that, well, Swift doesn't really have, you know, like the same energy to him, you know, since he's had the concussion. So you're really just hoping that the guy gets healthy, but if he does happen to get in the lineup, you know, last week we got a little bit, you know, of a warning, you know, before the game that if he was in, it was really going to be more of a package like what we had seen early in the year, which is really kind of like the third guy rotating through for specific situations, mostly long down and distance and two minute offense, which, you know, you can do worse than that if you're in a PPR league, you know, he, that could still come through for you, but it's not something that you want to count on. So we're just going to have to pay attention to the news. If we see full practices all week long, and then we hear that, you know, he's going to resume where he was at. That would be great. But I don't know that the coaching staff is going to come out and tell us that. So I'm going to treat DeAndre Swift as a low-end RB2 if he gets full practices in for the for all week. Um, but realizing he does have that RB1 upside, but he still has that RB3 you know floor. So just, just set your expectations you know appropriately. Hopefully he is healthy. He comes out, just rips it up like what we saw it, which we, which we saw him starting to do in his limited role, and he was set to really take over. We were all super excited about it. So just just like I said, just set your expectations, especially if it's in a situation where you're trying to you're trying to make sure you advance to the next round of your playoffs. Don't do anything super cute with DeAndre Swift. You got a tough call and you want to put him in? Great. Just don't do something dumb, right? Don't put him in over you know somebody that you think is a stud just because their matchup is like so so. Just be careful with things like that. Well, Dwayne, I tried to light a candle, and then I looked back, and it had already gone out. So uh, if that doesn't tell you all you need to know about DeAndre Swift this week, I don't know what will. Uh, next matchup, we got the Falcons at the Chargers. Open as a pick them. Now we got the Falcons as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Game total started at 48-and-a-half, up to 49-and-a-half. I wanted to look at Julio because he looked great last week, but he's been banged up, and I just wanted to see if he's kind of fallen off this year as a whole. Again, looking at some big-picture stuff more than usual this week. And the answer is not really. He's still one of the game's elite wide receivers. Compared to his former self, though, we are seeing a little bit of a drop-off. He was at, he's at 2.46 yards per out run this year. That's better than what we saw in 2019. But look, he did not finish under 2.6 from 2013 to 2018. It's truly like Jones. Nobody was touching this guy for the better part of a half decade in there just in terms of his per-route efficiency. Now he's still awesome. Him. He's just not quite that same world beater that we saw. I mean, it's 84.9 PFF grade, lowest mark since 2013. So look, next year will be his 11th year in the league. He's turning 32 in January. I would just say, you look at these wide receivers that have managed to post thousand yard uh, receiving, just thousand yard seasons uh, in their 11th season or beyond since 2010. Andre Johnson has last huge year out in year 11. Steve Smith, last great year was in year 11 with a uh, rookie cam. Reggie Wayne got to year 12 before his drop off. 2019 was Julian Edelman's 11th season and Anquan Bolden's last great year, you know, was pretty much around that uh, time range too. Really only Larry Fitzgerald has just consistently put up big seasons, you know, going from year 11 uh, on in the NFL. So, hey, Julio, he's been an outlier and exception his entire career. It would make sense if he has another five, six years in him. But I don't know, man. I think if you're a dynasty person out there and someone's still willing to treat Julio as this, you know, high-end wide receiver one he's been for the last decade, might be time to sell. The end comes fast with these guys. And, you know, we saw with A.J. Green. You're a wide receiver one one week, and the next week you're freaking priced at 3300 on DraftKings so you know it's unfortunate and again Julio is okay it's really not that unfortunate because Julio is still playing at a very high level this is you know nothing you're playing him this week 100% and I get that I'm saying long-term future might not be a bad time to try to sell a high on Julio Jones if you guys stand out there that wants him Last point I would make for this week, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, we're not touching his backfield. They're playing Todd Gurley through the pain. We don't know if Ido Smith's going to be out there. Do not touch his backfield, but points will be scored against the Chargers. Since week 
four here have been the point totals against the Chargers. 38, 30, 29, 31, 31, 29, 28, 27, most recently 45 by the Patriots. I know there's a lot of special teams goodness in there. Either way, fancy friendly production has come for pretty much everybody facing the Los Angeles Chargers. Do not expect that to end this week. Dwayne, Justin Herbert, that was the floor game last week, and it did not look good. Yeah, I mean, it didn't look good, but I think we're going to get a nice bounce back, right, against the Falcons this week. I think he's going to be in the, I think he's another guy that's going to be in my top five quarterback conversation, you know, getting to play against Atlanta. I do have to say that Eric Eager somewhere, if we were looking at Twitter right now, is probably going absolutely bananas. We just had a third and 24 and we ran a toss play to Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott. So that's winning football right there. Moo probably has something to say about it as well. So I'm sure those guys are really excited. <laughs> but yeah, back to the Chargers. Justin Herbert, um, look, man. When you're a young quarterback and you go to play against, you know, Bill Belichick, bad things happen, man. Like, the guy knows every trick in the book. He knows how to make everything look the opposite of what they think. And he's two or three moves ahead, right? He, like, Bill Belichick, like, I just imagine him in some other life, like, being like Bobby Fischer, right? He's like this chess player. Like, he already knows the end game before, you know, it even starts. Like, he knows where he wants to be at the very end, and he works backwards from it, and he just, like, literally pins you into, like, every bad move that you could possibly make, and especially when you're a young player. And so I just think you just got to kind of take it, right? You know, you just take it and you run with it. Otherwise, Herbert's been great. You know, this is a solid spot for him. He's got solid map, solid weapons all around him. You got Keenan Allen. He's got 125 targets already on the season. I mean, we've still got several games left to play. Um, He's seen 56 of those targets have been against linebackers or safety safeties and primary coverage that's 45 percent you know that's a good way to really help out a young quarterback put a guy like keenan allen matched up against linebackers and safeties i would pretty sure that he's going to be open every time that happens and so that's a big help for a guy like herbert herbert I would actually be interested in going back and looking like how many of those did he complete, you know, against the Patriots? Is that something they worked to take away from, you know, Justin Herbert or those types of passes to Keenan Allen? I do see that he got those targets last week. He got 60% of them, but Keenan Allen was only open on 50% of his targets last week. Whereas like in previous weeks, he was well over 70% on the season. He's over 65%. So obviously the Patriots did spend a little bit extra time, you know, putting some extra attention on Keenan Allen. He also saw stuff on Gilmore, you know, at times during the game. Um, so yeah, man, it's a balanced offense, you know, really Mike Williams, more of a DFS play, but he could still get involved. He had eight targets last week, 115 air yards. The last three weeks, he's got 123, 71, 115 air yards. So he can always top pop for you in a DFS tournament style. So if you're going to run Herbert out there, don't be afraid to, obviously you're going to use Keenan Allen, but don't, don't, don't be afraid, man. That's a great double up that we haven't seen hit yet very often this season. Um, Ian, that's just going to, it's going to, it's, it's due, right? It's due to hit that you put Herbert out there and you get the stack of Allen and Williams. And it seems so easy, but it just hasn't been there. And not a lot of people do it, right? And it's in a game where you can have a bring back. You can, you already named it, right? You use Ridley, you can use Jones, you get creative, you use Hayden Hurst. There's a lot of different ways you could attack this game. And so it's one that I'll probably be using a lot this weekend in DFS. I like that call a lot. And everyone, make sure you go to pff.com and check out uh, Seth Galena's piece. Went up Monday uh, just about, and the title was Bill Belichick was up to his old tricks and stifling Justin Herbert in the LA Chargers offense. Seth always writes awesome pieces and helps make you smarter. Us fantasy, us fantasy football heads, sometimes it's good to learn about the X's and O's of the game. And Seth uh, always has out great content helping us do that. So make sure you check that out. Also, quick uh, shout out to our sponsor before we get to these last four games. All first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks in their account while using promo code PFF receive a free PFF edge 
general subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and proc games at one of the fast growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Next matchup, we get the Washington football team at the 49ers, both coming off some Monday night performances. Sam Fran opened as four and a half point favorite size down to three and a half, 43.5 uh, point game total. Is that, that's, did I write that down wrong? Is Sam Fran really favored? I could be incorrect. No, I'm not. Wow. I'm a little surprised, man. I think I would take Washington straight up in this one. We'll see. Uh, annoying situation. You know, Antonio Gibson looks like he could be a candidate to make, miss some time. Freaking sucks. He was starting to not necessarily get freed. We were still seeing a lot of McKissick, but the guy was playing some good ball, and uh, it's unfortunate. But, you know, if he is going to miss time with his toe injury, look, people, J.D. McKissick needs to be fired up as a legit RB2. He's the PPR RB24 on the season already. So, I mean, he's been getting fed, as we know, as, you know, we've been barking about all year, and Gibson not getting those opportunities. Uh, you know, McKissick's going to be getting more than ever. So, 39 targets in the slaughter out wide for J.D. McKissick. That's 15 more than the next closest running back this year. So they love feeding them these screens, these easy, uh, you know, passes. And Alex Smith is very comfortable with them. Don't be afraid to fire up McKissick with the season on the line. You know, not the best matchup against the 49ers. I get it. But the nature of McKissick's production is going to be just fine to get in that RB2 range. Quick note, do not play Peyton Barber, even if there's a fire this week. There's been 68 running backs with at least 50 carries this year. Peyton Barber is dead last in yards per carry, yards after contact per rush, and missed tackles for his per carry. I get so tired when I hear these commentators talk like, okay, you got our JD McKissicks. Oh, they can catch passes. They're a scat back. And you got your Peyton Barbers. Oh, that's an in-between the tackle grinder. You know, he's that guy. No, he can't do anything. Like the fact he's even getting touches and saying, can we just call it for what it is and say this guy is not a good NFL running back and he hasn't shown any signs of being a good NFL running back for the past two years. So, you know, I know we want to say nice things about all these guys and, you know, we really do try, but I, I don't know how to spin this. I really, truly don't know how to spin this for what the guys put on tape and on the field over the past two years. I did see a really nice jump cut from him last year at one point when he was on the Buccaneers. That's all I got, though. So please do not play Peyton Barber under any circumstances. Feel good about McKissick. Feel good about Terry McLaurin in a, in a, just in a bounce back. Just for the love of God, do not play Peyton Barber. I will take as a personal insult if anyone touches Peyton Barber in a freaking fantasy football playoff game. I'm getting mad just thinking about someone doing it. Ugh. Dwayne, what's going on with Nick Mullins <laughs> and the 49ers? <laughs> I'm just glad you clarified that like even in a fire, because that could be the case where I could accidentally do it. Like, I'm like, oh my God, my house is on fire. Let You're me start panicking. Peyton Barber. There's a lot going on. <laughs> Before I leave, the last thing I got to do is put Peyton Barber in the mind. Oh man, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it has a tough matchup anyway, you know, with the 49ers. Yeah, they've lost players, but you know, they're going to take away the thing that they know you want to do. So I, I, I agree with you. And if you want somebody that do, actually does do a good breakdown of Peyton Barber and talks about his positive traits, I would say just get Matt Waldman on your show. You know, and plus, you know, it's always one of those deals where with Matt, like he talks like probably even more than you do, Ian. So, you know, it could be something where, you know, you could probably kill like 20 minutes really quickly. Matt's yeah, awesome. Matt. Okay. Um, yeah. So Tevin, I'm sorry, Tevin Coleman. Yeah. Tevin Coleman came back this last week, but didn't really get to do anything. You know, he was hardly used, but we do still have, you know, this running back by committee. Like, I don't know if people like look at this on like YouTube or anything, but like you see my bad drawing right there. That's like, you know, the, the skull and the crossbones. <laughs> Just says it's avoid. 
like RBBC <laughs> still in full effect. You know, we've got Raheem Mostert back, but it's just not something where we're going to get to see him clearly get, you know, all the attempts. You know, he's going to be right around that 40% mark, 45%. Last week, it was 47%. This, well, sorry, two weeks ago, 47%. This last week, 43%. That equals 16 and 9. So it just really depends, you know, on the game script. So you're going to see a guy that's going to see anywhere, you know, from probably 8 to 14, 15, 16 touches. But you don't just, you just don't know, like, when it's going to come. I would guess that this is a game that would stay close. Maybe even the Niners can lead. Um, you know, I know you said you'd probably take, you know, uh, you know, Washington just straight up, you know, in the game, you know, in fact, giving them, you know, the, uh, you know, the odds as the favorite. But I mean, these are two teams that have their own struggles, right? Neither one of them is a complete team, you know, so we'll see what happens. But most are just a guy that for me, he stays at the bottom end of the RB2. I know we had some hopes that, you know, he could turn into, you know, really that RB1, you know, coming back. But it's just Shanahan's going to continue to to mix things up. He's going to probably, he's going to have an RB1 week, right? It's going to happen. I just can't tell you, like, when it's going to happen. And he can also easily just give you that RB3 dud kind of week, right, in your playoffs. So I would just be careful, you know, with Raheem Mostert. As far as the receivers go, I think the baseline, right, for Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk as long as George Kittle is out, is wide receiver three, but both have wide receiver one upside every single week. So you're gonna, they're gonna finish either as a wide receiver one, two, or three, and, and twelve people PPR team, you know, leagues. You know, so you're talking the top thirty-six. I think both of them are gonna typically be inside the top thirty-six as long as George Kittle is absent. I mean, they're one or the other is getting peppered pretty much every week. And they scheme it up, right? They do a lot of things to get them involved in the running game. They do a lot of things to get them involved in the, um, you know, in the screen game. They do a lot to get them involved using play action. So while you don't have a great quarterback, you don't have a great offense, the scheme is still really good. And they're really the last two guys standing right now in the passing game. So I think those are guys that you can pretty much fire up in all formats and find ways to get them in your lineup. Now, Dwayne, only thing you mentioned that you don't know when Mostert's RB1 week is going to be. I do. It's week 15 against the Cowboys. There we go. We got it then. <laughs> Actually, you do week. know. You're correct. I do know. We got it then. No, you no, you no. may get two RB1 performances out of the 49ers. <laughs> you, you, may get a, you, you might get an RB2 out of Jeff Wilson that week. I love it. I love it. All right. Saints at Eagles next. Uh, New Orleans sitting at seven-point favorites. Game total at 44. So, Taysom Hill. I, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the things he's done to Alvin Kamara. Unfortunately, we have Alvin down that RB1 borderline if not an RB2 at this point, and that sucks. But, you know, it is a situation where we can be happy about what Taysom Hill is bringing to the table on his own as a fantasy product if Drew Brees does remain out of the picture. So if Brees is able to come back, you know, Michael Thomas is going to get a big bump, be in that wide receiver one range, and we're going to see Alvin Kamara get back to being that top three back. If not, Taysom Hill, he is my QB5 this week, and I don't feel good about it. You don't feel good about it. It's the reality of the situation, everybody. Over the past three weeks, the only players with at least 70 fantasy points Taysom Hill, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Deshaun Watson. It is purely from rushing production. Over these past three weeks, I mean, Alvin Kamara has 39 rushes. Latavius has 36. Taysom Hill has 34. It's a freaking three-headed committee in the Saints run game. And Taysom Hill is getting the majority of the fantasy-friendly goal line touches. So he's getting all the rushing work, man. It's literally insane because over the past three weeks, again, this is just his starting sample size. Here are the players are more just fantasy points from purely rushing production. Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Antonio Gibson. Then Taysom freaking Hill. That's the situation we're in. Sean Payton, it's like, you know, if you're playing a Madden Dynasty or NCAA and you have your creative player and you're just going, you're, you're going so far out of your way to feed this guy like points and touchdowns because you want him to get all the end of season awards. That's what Sean Payton's doing in real life. So they're getting wins, but just realize this is not, you know, the full-fledged great version of the Saints offense that we would hope to see at this point, you know, in these 
two of his last three starts, they've had 21, 24 points. Those are two of the three worst, you know, overall offensive outputs of the season. So we heard Sean Payton talking about Taysom needing to have better ball security. Yeah, bro, you fumbled three times and you had two interceptions dropped. You absolutely need to work on all that, but he's still going to be out there. And if he is out there, man, it's going to be all that rushing production. So it doesn't feel good, but Taysom Hill, legit upside QB1. What a world we're living in. Dwayne. Jalen hey, he does, he, he does like Michael Thomas. So you That's got true. that going. That's true. We got that going. <laughs> he's peppering Thomas, even though they may not be the best targets. Um, you know, Thomas is, you know, he's going to see eight to 10 targets every week. Man, the Eagles, what a mess. Yeah. Like, it's really just an avoid situation because I don't know how to pick who to start. I would say maybe the only guy that you could start, you know, on this team would be maybe there's two and it's Dallas Goddard. And if you own Miles Sanders, you're just going to continue starting him as a low end RB two. Um, he's going to see about half the carries, you know, he's going to be out there for about half the routes, but the offense is just terrible. Right. And Jalen hurts. Yeah. He threw a touchdown pass, but his underlines overall were not good. And Jalen hurts. I'm sorry. If you guys watched him play in college, he's not a good passing quarterback yet. Like he had good games, but he also had absolutely terrible games. Now as a fantasy option, he could be okay because he's going to give you points with his legs. He could score you a rushing touchdown, but what he's going to do for the rest of the offense isn't good, but you know what? It was already terrible anyway. So likely if you own a bunch of these guys, guess what? You're not even in the playoffs and you're not listening to this show because you've already given up on fantasy football for the season. So that's okay. But if you're a DFS player, like I don't even like any of these guys really as a dart, you know, and the problem is they're just rotating them all now, Ian. So you got Alshon Jeffrey out there for, uh, you know, Jeffrey's routes last week at last two weeks, 54 and 53%. You know, you got Greg Ward at 66 and 72%. Jalen Rager at 59 and 63%. Oh, got to get John Hightower on the field. He's, he's a, he's a playmaker, 29% and 37%. You know, you got Travis Fulgham, the once high and mighty Travis Fulgham down to 49% and 44%. Like literally, if for some reason you are carrying these and you are listening to the show in a season long, literally, I you can drop all of them. I don't even care. Like there's really no point in holding any of them. The only viable option is Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard. And Goddard took a hit. He had been up in the 90% range on his routes, which is like super duper elite for a tight end. And you got the return of Zach Ertz, who ran a route on 44%. You know, of the dropbacks, saw 16% of the targets, was actually targeted on 21%, you know, uh, targets per route run. So they were trying to get Zach Ertz a little bit involved. So, I mean, Ertz is a guy that if you do own him or you held on to him, just hold another week. Don't put him in the lineup yet, though. We really need to see a week where he's out there at least 60, 70%, you know, of the routes. You know, this is a guy that we were used to seeing have 80, 85% of the routes. And we just don't know if those days are going to return. It could just, it, it, at its best, right, it could just end up being a split between he and Goddard because they are running 11 personnel a lot more, and I don't know that they're fully going to go back to 12 because they're trying to get some of these young guys some continued exposure. So we'll have to see what they're going to do. But overall, man, it's just it's really a situation to avoid. And it, it, it sucks because it's one of those that early in the season, you know, we were kind of excited about the Eagles and it, just everything that can go wrong has gone wrong from Carson Wentz falling off the face of the earth to all of the offensive line, you know, injuries that started very early on. And then, you know, just honestly, underperforming coaching, right? Game planning, it's, it's, it's all been suspect. A lot of problems going on in Philly right now. Yeah, to your point, maybe in week 15 and 16, Jalen Hurts, if we see what we want to see from a rushing standpoint, this week we can get behind. Other than that, don't need anybody. Miles Sanders, okay, he'll be you know in that RB20 range probably, but even he is not a recommended start really this week or even beyond potentially. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding, so head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, 
head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend, there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odd, odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Uh, two more matchups, everybody. Thank you for sticking with us here. We got the Steelers at the Bills on Sunday Night Football. Pittsburgh is uh, sitting as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, 47.5 point over-under. So Deontay Johnson has been you know, a big topic of discussion because Pittsburgh, they're airing the ball out, and Deontay is someone that needs to be in fantasy lineups because he's just getting peppered targets, and he's catching and he's catching a lot of them, but he's also dropping a lot of them. And I understand that drops, we see very good players at the top of the league in drops. I mean, look, Deontay, league-high 10 drops. DK Metcalf's at nine. You know, Stephon Diggs is at seven. Tyler Loggins has seven. Even Alvin Kamara has six. Like, plenty of great players over time experience a lot of these drops. I'm just confused exactly where the efficiency comes in, when it's going to come in with Deontay Johnson. I love the way the guy runs with the ball. And we see him, you know, 5.1 yards after the catch per reception. He's number 12. I even looked at, you know, some of the cool tools we can use at PFF. I even compared him. You know, only looking at production that's been 10 yards or shorter or behind the line of scrimmage. Because I, I think a lot of Deontay's balls are being caught at the line. So maybe, you know, his yak was just getting too enhanced because of the nature of his targets. But no, he's still an above average yak guy, regardless of, you know, if you're comparing the same sort of targets to everyone. So he's legit with the ball in his hands. But man, 36 among 64 wide receiver in yards per out run. 59th among 64 in yards per reception. Freaking A.J. Green this year is averaging more yards per catch than Deontay Johnson. So you look at, you know, Big Ben's career. He's fed 28 guys at least 50 targets. Deontay ranks 23rd in adjusted yards per attempt, man. Hey, Emmanuel Sanders is underneath him. Like, Deontay Johnson, more efficient than Emmanuel Sanders was with Pittsburgh. Obviously, that guy went on to have a fantastic career. So we'll see what happens. I do think Deontay is good. But, man, when you look at the snaps last week, Chase Claypool was the one wide receiver that wasn't getting enough run and I cannot live with that dude only Mike Wallace has been more efficient in terms of an adjusted yards per target basis than Chase Claypool with Big Ben since 2004 I think Claypool really has been their only threat downfield and when you look at what he's done the red zone some of the rush attempts and screens you know he's just the most dangerous guy with the ball in his hands period so you know so much this offense continues to be so short with Eric Ebron Deontay Johnson we're finally seeing opponents catch on to that I think Chase Claypool could be the key that could unlock the best version of the Steelers offense we've seen it earlier in the year they need to get back to that Dwayne Buffalo Bills Josh Allen oh my goodness he looked great last night what a what a performance yeah like I, I was looking earlier today I want to say he had all three of his receivers were in the top 30 you know from a PPR standpoint as of you know before this game which I don't think we're going to get much out of oh look the Cowboys are on the board after a Lamar Jackson pick so they've got three points the Red Rocket led them to a big three there Ian <laughs> there um, Cole Beasley man <laughs> over the last three weeks, right? 27 targets, 13, 3, and 11. That's 29%, 13%, 30%. This is a guy that's just absolutely on fire. They're on the same page right now. Obviously, you've got um, 
you know, John Brown out of the lineup. You know, he's probably out for at least another couple of weeks. But then you got Gabriel Davis. You know, Gabe Davis is stepping in. You know, he's out there 97 and 98 percent of the routes over the last two weeks. Not not getting peppered with targets. More of those, like we said, are going to Beasley. He's had three and five, um, but they're pushing the ball down the field. You know, he scored a touchdown um, against the Niners last night. So Davis is in that wide receiver four kind of DFS tournament range. Not somebody I really feel great about. You know, if I'm in the fantasy playoffs trying to keep moving forward, I think he's going to be a bit hit or miss. But Cole Beasley, man, I think he's a play that's just for now, even though you're talking about the Steelers getting to work inside, like I don't see how, you know, Beasley in this particular game doesn't see at least six, seven targets. Um, So he's a guy that I would consider, you know, because of the matchup, I'd put him more in that wide receiver three range than I would the wide receiver two. But I feel really comfortable with him, you know, in large leagues, medium leagues, even small leagues. I feel comfortable with him right there in that wide, wide receiver three range. And what's nice is that what we've seen with Beasley this year that we haven't always seen in the past is that he does have an upside. He has a ceiling that we haven't normally seen, you know. So, I mean, like. If you look at the game last night, like his A dot was 10.7, 118 air yards. You know, that's something that we always always we haven't always seen out of his game before. Um, and obviously he gets to operate out of the slot. But if you look over the last couple of weeks, you know, with Beasley, last night he had three targets over 20 yards, Ian. Like that's just not a part of the game we've normally seen. And most of them are on these deep crossers. You got Allen rolling out and he finds Beasley at the end, and with this improved accuracy that, you know, Allen seems to have found like you know, just hanging around like pocket change <laughs> under, you know, a couch cushion that he all of a sudden has. And, hey, happy for him. He looks really good. He's playing great. Um, you know, he's hitting – he's able to hit Beasley on some of these things that he couldn't do before. So that's what I would say there. The one thing, man, Zach Moss was really coming on, you know, from a utilization perspective. He had seen 53 and then 60% of the snaps in week 12. We saw it drop all the way to 15% last night. What happened? He had a fumble from inside his own five-yard line. So – he literally just was one and one. I think it was just a lesson kind of thing, but we're going to have to wait and see what happens. I was getting excited to just see what was going to happen with Moss this week because of that steady, steady growth week after week after week. Maybe he could just finally take over this backfield. Well, he's probably going to have to hit the reset button. I wouldn't be surprised to see them see him back at more of a split this last week. But Singletary saw 85% of the snaps last week, 72% you know, of the rushing attempts. He was out there for 100% of the two-minute offense, 100% of the long down and distance. So Singletary, while he looked really good, and if you're hearing people tout him, just remember it's really when this all started was when Moss fumbled. So I expect to see that come back to something where it's probably more of a split this week, and we'll see if Moss can can improve from there. There will certainly be someone out there just talking about Singletary was able to take over that backfield without mentioning anything else. That's why you got to, if not, I understand not everyone has time to go watch the games, everybody. But if you don't, just try to, you know, listen to someone that did because these are the types of small notes that really can make or break uh, your decision-making process. Next game, final game, Monday Night Football. Awesome big game and we finally get some uh, I'm knocking on wood looks like tentatively in Cleveland it will not be a game severely impacted by weather we'll see what happens by the time next Monday gets here but we got the Ravens at the Browns Baltimore sitting as a three-point favorite game total at 48 you know again the Cowboys Ravens game is going right now Lamar Jackson just took off for a 37 yard touchdown fourth and two classic you know inverted veer right up the gut you know no cowboy within them next last 15 yards and the big thing that I want to see from the rest of this game look Lamar similar okay not quite similar or Kyler, but Lamar, you got to realize he still has that rushing uh, production. And before he missed that COVID game, like since they're by, he was putting up like just more rush attempts than just about anybody, quarterbacks, running backs, whoever you want to name it. So Lamar, even if he has disappointed, even if he's not, you know, that overall QB one world beater, and maybe if you picked him on your fantasy team, you're not sitting in the playoffs and you don't have to worry about this decision. But down the stretch, people, we can trust Lamar as a legit fantasy QB one. He's always been a fantasy QB one, even this year. He just spoiled us so much in 2019. It hasn't quite been 
been the same. So again, anytime we got these dual threat players, you know, quarterback that can run, running back that can catch, or even a wide receiver, you know, that really gets some rush attempts, they tend to be fantasy football Chico. So go to Lamar Jackson. Well, other than that, we need J.K. Dobbins to emerge as the lead guy in this backfield. Right now, looking at the box score, I mean, we've only had three carries. Dobbins, one carry went for 18 yards. Gus Edwards went for seven. Ingram went for three. We've been seeing this all season long. Dobbins has been the best back, and they were seemingly set to free him before the whole COVID thing popped up. So ideally, you know, check out my running back article on Wednesday. I'll get that updated with, uh, you know, all the, all the stats splits from this game. Check out Dwayne's utilization report. He's going to have information on it too. Ideally, we're sitting here, you know, this time tomorrow saying, oh man, that was great. That J.K. Dobbins RB1 performance taking over the backfield. I really hope that's what, that what I'm saying right now is true as you're listening to this on Wednesday. Fingers crossed. I hope so. Dwayne, Cleveland Browns. This is a big game, man. I'm pumped for them because they've earned it. Eight, what, nine and three? Cleveland? In this economy? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I think you brought up a really good point. I know we joke about it, but the weather, like the last three home games in the Browns, I, I would be interested in going back and seeing if there were, I'm sure somewhere along the way there has been, like at some point, but three games in a row with that kind of wind, like it's just insane. So, I mean, while Baker hasn't been great, you know, all season long, you know, there's definitely something to what was going on with the win because the way you know is you look at the opposing quarterbacks and the same thing happened to them as well. But Mayfield, you know, in this last game, 334 yards, um, you know, he's the quarterback three um, from a fantasy point perspective in week 13. And man, this this play action passing game and the pump fakes and all these things, I don't know. I mean, you watch, you watch it all. So if you saw... I can't remember if it was Peoples-Jones or if it was Higgins that ran the out and up where Baker pumped it on the out. Peoples-Jones, yeah, that was nasty. Yeah, dude. I mean, so, I mean, by halftime, I want to say, like, there were three, uh, you know, Browns receivers that were in the lock, like, they were in the top, like, six, like, if you were looking at DFS tournaments because Peoples-Jones had a long touchdown then Higgins had a long touchdown before halftime and then Jarvis was just doing Jarvis, right? He was just seeing that steady work, you know, caught a pass from or threw a pass to Baker Mayfield. Um, But Jarvis has seen 11 and 10 targets over the last two weeks. What's crazy about it, man, his snaps, 58%, 61%, 67%. But again, why do we care about snaps as receivers? We don't. Go back to the lesson from earlier. You really care about routes. 83%, and he did drop to 67% in week 12, and I kind of put an alert out in the utilization report. Hey, we got to monitor this. This is not a good thing. But then he was back to 81% this last week. And here's the thing with Jarvis. You got to look at a lot of different things with these guys. With him, if you look at his targets per route run, that that's where it gets really interesting, right? So... What that means is if you see a higher number on their targets per route run than what their normal target share is, that shows you that they're designing the offense to get the ball to them when they're on the field. Think Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones doesn't get enough of the touches to think he would really be able to be an RB1 based on when you look at his snaps and all those sort of things. But then if you look at how they use him when he's on the field, they really do everything they can to get him the ball in optimal situations. And so really Jarvis Landry seeing some of the same thing. Um, you know, his targets per route are higher than his than his targets. And if you look at it, you know, he's the first read on 91%, you know, last week. If you look at him from a standpoint of his play action targets, 55% and 
over the last two weeks. When you got to worry about Nick Chubb, you got to worry about Kareem Hunt, you got to worry about an offensive line that's playing really well, that saw some major upgrades this offseason. Stefanski's really got this thing singing. Uh, it's just problematic, man. It's just really hard to deal with. And so I think Landry's a wide receiver too the rest of the way forward. I'm not saying he couldn't still give you a dud, but with the target volumes he's seeing in the matchups against linebackers and safeties, a lot of play action. Yeah, he's not like Debo. He's not like Ayuk where he can, you know, get you that yards after the catch really consistently and he's a threat to break it every play. But, you know, he's still pretty athletic. He can get some run after the catch yards. He's just not going to break you that 50, 60 yarder unless somebody takes a really bad angle. But he knows what he's doing. He's a professional. We've seen him be a wide receiver one, a wide receiver two for a long time now in fantasy. So continue to treat him that way. I don't need to tell you guys anything about Nick Chubb. The dude's a beast. Like I mean, literally, Nick Chubb, he may be my favorite running back in the league at this point. It just, it's just insane what he does. You know, the power that he has, the balance that he has, the vision that he has. You know, he can he can break the long run. I mean, he really does everything. You know, I was listening to an, anal- to an analyst today say, Nick Chubb isn't even really that fast. He doesn't even really have good balance. I'm like, do you watch Nick Chubb? Like, <laughs> you're not watching Nick Chubb. So, um, you know, if you've been holding on to Nick Chubb, right, and you're in a season-long wow, what a welcome sight. Because, you know, if, say you squeaked into the playoffs, and now you've got really, even though he has to share carries with Kareem Hunt, I mean, he's going to see the occasional RB2 week. But really, I mean, he's he's got that, he's got the number one overall running back upside every week, even though he has to share with Kareem Hunt, just because the offense is so efficient. Yeah, you know, this might not be the most ideal matchup for them, but you look at what the Browns are going to end with as I'm trying to get the schedule to refresh right now. We got the New York Giants in Week 15 and the New York Jets in Week 16. Yeah. So, But the Ravens yeah. have been pushed around on the ground lately, yep. right? Now, it'll it'll depend. We'll have to see. Is Brandon Williams back? That's a key thing to watch. You know, is he getting practice? Is he going to be on the field? Actually, I don't even know. We could probably see if he's on the field tonight. Oh, the Cowboys just scored. It looks My like God. it may have been Pollard. But anyway, um, Watch for Brandon Williams. They've been they've been pushed around the last couple of weeks because they've been just weak up the middle. They just haven't really had the beef. But their linebacking core and stuff, they're they're really built to jump out on teams, and the offense hasn't been able to do that this year. They're built to take away the passing game, right, of the other team. Their team is built on analytics. You know, that's how they handle their draft. So, I mean, they're very smart. But if you can get in a situation where you've got a team that's elite on the ground like the Browns, you know, I would, I'm with you. I would put, you know, Chubb at an RB2 this week, but I'm not scared of him. Yeah. Should not be scared at all. Nick Chubb needs to be in fantasy football starting lineups of all shapes and sizes. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Dwayne, awesome stuff, man. Let the people know about the utilization report, one of the best pieces of fantasy and just real football information you can find on the internet. Yeah, man, just turned it in before the show to our awesome editors over at PFF. So it'll be up either late tonight or sometime tomorrow, but it typically comes out either on Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday morning. So you guys can check it out. I cover, if you like a lot of the stuff I talked about here, I go in depth on, on multiple other players. Also, you can find me at the Fantasy Football Hustle. Got a podcast that comes out once a week. Do that on Tuesday nights as well. So I've, I've been going a million miles an hour today with Ian, all these conference calls. My voice is literally gone. So you guys, if you just want to hear me like just hanging on by a thread for like another hour, uh, that, that happens on Tuesday nights, usually around 9 p.m. Central Time. You are a freaking grinder, man. I love it. Hey, tea with honey. That's a trick because I, you know, I've, I've had to cut back the old uh, drinking lifestyle during the season because I stay up after all these games. And I got to be somewhat coherent for this podcast. So instead of drinking, you know, beer or sheesh, I, I go with tea now, man. It's good. It's good for the throat. Works. Okay. Yeah. I'm a Topo Chico guy personally, but that <laughs> doesn't necessarily do anything for the throat. So I'm going to have to check that out. 
Check it out. All right, everyone check out Dwayne on Twitter, at Dwayne McFarlane. Context matters. Always good stuff coming from him. Check me out too if you want, at iHeartits. You know, why not? Who knows? All right, thank you everybody. As always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Tune back in the future if you feel like it. Until then, take care and Des caught it. <laughs>